G'day everyone and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Wrap brought to you by Crowcast, of course. Bit of a dismal loss this week and uh, lots to talk about with a special guest. Uh, so without any further ado, let's get right into it, shall we? G'day, 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 and welcome to another edition, the Round 14 edition of the Weekend Wrap, brought to you by Crowcast. Uh, Not a great day for Adelaide Crow supporters, um, but as a consequence, plenty to talk about. So much to talk about, in fact, that along with my regular cohort in Nikki, how are you, Nikki? And we've also got a special guest, uh, an old favourite of the Crowcast and someone we haven't seen on the podcast for ages and I'm sure everyone will be happy to hear his dulcet tones on the Crowcast again. It's Scorpus. How are you going, Scorpus? Oh, I'm not sure I was a fan favourite, but uh, yeah, it's good to be back. Good to chat about the Crows. Looking forward to now, it. Now, should I be calling you Scorpus or Tim? <laughs> well, either way is well, either way is perfectly fine with me. We don't have a lot of connection to Bigfooty anymore, so a lot of people wouldn't know the reference to Scorpus, but uh, we'll, we'll call you Scorpus for old time's sake. Um, and it's yeah, really good not? to have you along, mate. Uh, 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 YouTube uh, sensation, obviously. If anyone hasn't uh, visited Scorpus's channel, uh, it's Hardware Unboxed, and they talk all things technology. And if you ever wanted to hear someone talk for half an hour, in exalted tones about monitors, um, you got to head on over and listen to Tim because uh, it's sensational. Even I've listened through a couple of those, mate. <laughs> Sounds like you're super excited about half an hour of monitor talk, which is always good. <laughs> <laughs> My son was when I said to him that I was going to buy him a monitor for Christmas. So, uh, yeah, we got around a, a bit. But, uh, no, Scorpus has always been a really good supporter of the Crowcast, so it's great to have you on board, mate. And uh, I'm sure, uh, Nikki, this brings back old times, doesn't it? It does indeed. Yeah. All we need now is macaron. How did we ever get along when there was like about six of us doing this damn thing at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> we, we took about the same amount of time. It's hilarious. Oh, shit. I think well, it's gotten longer since I left. Definitely. But, I think you guys are doing like two hours, two and a half oh, hours these days. Yeah. Mate, I don't, it doesn't matter what I do, mate, to try and cut this down. Um, it just keeps dragging on and on. And speaking of dragging on and on, let's not drag it on any further. We uh, we've cut down oh, Macca's fifteen please. minutes of fame, so let's quickly just run through the scores, shall we? <laughs> oh God! Whoops! Where am I? Let's go back to the start. Um, it all started on Thursday night when Richmond overcame Carlton in a game that I think Carlton would have been disappointed to lose. Richmond eleven fifteen eighty one. 15-point winners over the Blues, 9-12-66. The Blues just stuttering along a little bit of late. 
Um, and then on Friday night, um, this is what St Kilda do. They lose the games that they need to win in order to remain in contention, and now they've dropped themselves back to the pack. 11-6-72 going down by 35 points to a spirited Essendon team, 15-17-107, and uh, the Saints will be pretty disappointed with that one, I think. The Power keeping themselves with a sniff, 12-10-82, a good win by 23 points over Sydney, 8-11-59. Um, and the Cats, 12-9-81, unconvincing three-goal winners over the Eagles, 9-9-63. Uh, and uh, lastly, um, a pretty entertaining game, actually, the Giants, 16-9-105, going down by 20 points in the end uh, to the Western Bulldogs, 19-11-125. That's going to make it a bit hard for the Giants, I think. And the Bulldogs are still in contention we just quickly have a look at the um, at the uh, ladder, and uh, the Lions now sitting on top by 0.2 of a percent. Now that we've all gone through all our buys over Melbourne and Fremantle, all on 40 points. Uh, Geelong in the top four with 36 points. Carlton just outside with 36. Richmond now moving up with a good percentage uh, with 32 points. Sydney also on 32 points. St Kilda still in the eight, also with 32 points. Collingwood now joining them just outside the eight on 32 points. Um, we have the Bullies and the Gold Coast Suns. Gold Coast Suns sneaking in there, uh, although they've got a bit of a a bit of a rough couple of weeks coming up uh, on 28 points. Port on 24. The Giants on 16, along with Hawthorne and the tanking Adelaide. Uh, Essendon on 12 points. Hopefully uh, will overtake us shortly. And uh, North and the West Coast fighting it out for the number one pick. Uh, Nick, what do you think about the weekend's footy? Uh, there's a couple of good games. Uh, the the Bulldogs-Giants game was pretty good. Um, and Port doing pretty well to get over Sydney. Um, I didn't watch too many of them. I, mi- I missed the, the Thursday night one. I did watch um, a bit of the Friday night one, which was annoying me. Um, yeah. you're, you're right about St Kilda. They they need to be doing better than what they are. Um, they do it all the time. They I do it know. all the time. They're, just they're, when they just when they look like they're going to power up, they lose the the games that they should always win. Yeah. Um, Apart from that, the motor racing was really good. <laughs> I wish a bit more of that instead. <laughs> now, uh, Scorpus, do you watch much of the footy on the weekend? I've got to say, my watching of footy has tapered off a bit in the last couple of years um, since a few AFL things you guys have been talking about quite a lot on this podcast that we're all familiar with. But I think the one game I did watch was the GWS um, Bulldogs game. And I thought the standard of football in that was better than average, better yeah. than the sort of typical games that I've seen over the last however many years. So um, it was enjoyable. But, yeah, I agree with the St Kilda comments. I think they they seem to maybe surprise me with how they were going throughout this year in terms of I didn't think they really had a list that would contend for the flag. And I think maybe that's showing at this point in the season. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think they're, they're a better version of us in terms of how they go about it, in my opinion. They're just a good, honest workhorse team that don't have a hell of a lot of flair. Um, and every now and again, if they're not 100% on their game, uh, they can get done. Um, I've often described us as a workhorse team as well, but we're uh, 
we're we're not of their their level yet, but a similar sort of team. And I think unless you've got a little bit of polish, what was that? Sorry, Nick. We've got mules. We don't have horses yet. <laughs> Something like that. Anyway, look, uh, let's not stuff around because we've got a Crows game to talk about and it was Adelaide, in the end, going down by 43 points, giving up three goals in the last minute of the game, 10-13-73. Uh, the Suns, impressive. Yeah, they just did. I, I feel like the Suns were just more efficient. 18-8-1-16. So 43 points, as I said, and uh, uh, a pretty average second quarter probably put us behind the eight ball uh, and then uh, just wasteful in front of goal once again. Nick? It, it just it felt like watching the Suns players, they actually they weren't that good and they were very lucky they were playing us. Uh, I think if they were playing any other team, uh, they likely would have lost that game. Um. It was just they were making mistakes all over the place and we just did not capitalise. And you're right, it's at kicking in front of goal and nobody wants to take that kick or even players that we think have good intelligent disposal completely went the other way um, this game. So there's something very rotten in the state of Denmark down at that club. Yeah, well, I don't think we're in Denmark, but uh, we're playing pretty cold at the moment. Uh, Tim, general comment about the game? Yeah, I think, I don't know, I've been, I'm not sure you call me a fan of Matthew Nix over the past couple of uh, seasons. I certainly haven't been a full hater or a full lover of him, but I think the last couple of weeks and really culminating in this game has made me reassess my my views on Knicks and mm. I'm starting to think that he's not the way he coached this game and the way he selected the side as I'm sure we'll talk about it was very disappointing so just some really odd decisions made throughout and I think ultimately that's why we lost I think it's a winnable game as you've been talking about I think the Suns did not play amazing football but Matthew Nix in the way that he yeah set up the team and and coached it ended up sort of preventing us from actually being able to take out the win. Yeah, we'll talk obviously in more detail in a minute, but the telling one for me was Berry absolutely carving up in the third quarter, um, something like eight clearances or something in the third quarter, and starting on the bench in the last. He was obviously the hot midfielder. Um, When he eventually came back on in the last, he had an immediate impact, and it just typifies the uh, predictability uh, that we have in selection and the way Matthew Nix runs the team at the moment, you you put your hot players where you want the ball to be won and I just couldn't understand why we didn't start with Sam. Um, You know, so, and that, that, as I said, to me that was indicative. Um, Before we go on, I just have to say uh, thanks to everyone who's joined us on the Discord stage. Obviously, if you want to have something to say... We are live and interactive, of course. Good to see a couple of new people on there. Bruno, I haven't seen you for ages. Uh, good to see you, mate. Uh, Volta Terz, uh, I think, is maybe a new uh, person. I certainly don't recall the name, Steve, as well. So uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Um, we do also have Macca in the, in the stage because he just can't stay away, Macca. Um, good to see you, though, mate. And if you want to have something to say at any stage, just... Uh, 
just let us know and we'll uh, happily bring you on uh, also thanks to everyone who's joined us on youtube i really do hope that i've actually turned youtube on tim i have a I have a habit of uh, oh yeah i've got youtube on have a habit of uh, just messing up every week. <laughs> but thankfully it's this week, yeah, it looks like it's all right. I tell you every week, it's our charm. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Anyway, so uh, look, uh, mate, you touched on selection before, Tim, and uh, I just want to look at selection real quick. Um, Geordie Butts and Joshua Shelley were probably the two obvious but um, the continued inclusion of Matt Crouch um, surprises me. Uh, the way they use Geordie Dawson in a defensive capacity um, at the expense of Mitch Hinge, who was omitted for what I couldn't see as any good reason, um, and the persistence with using the same three uh in the midfield at the expense of Haitley, who now seems to have tapered off form because he gets stuck out on that wing, and Sam Berry, who is a bona fide gun in the midfield. He gets the ball and he uses it uh, constructively, but it's hard to do that when you don't get any CBAs, isn't it? Well, you know, Jackson Haitley, I think a couple of weeks ago, had, what, his best game at AFL level? Yeah. had awesome amount of score involvements, disposals. Uh, he was playing as a pressure player as well, so he wasn't just, you know, racking up touches on the outside and doing nothing with it. Um, you know, and then so the coaches see that and they're like, oh, that was a good game, Jacko. And then two weeks later they're like, you know who we should bring back? We should bring <laughs> back Matt Crouch. And yeah. then we'll just move Haitley like, outside to the outside. And so all, all the, the area where you were playing Jacko really well, um, you're just not going to play there anymore because we're now going to play Matt Crouch. Yeah. It's a, it, that's a very odd, uh, I don't know, you, would you do that in a developing team? That doesn't seem like something that I, if I was coach that I would be doing in the team that's in the position that it's in at the moment. The, the, the illogical thing is that he's given Haitley a couple of, uh, lesson games, you know, he put him put him on Crips in the middle and, and said, there you go, we're going to leave you on Patrick Crips and you're going to learn how to play tough inside football um, and he did it again uh, uh, against the e- uh, no, it was another game he put him up against someone, I can't remember and Haightley and Berry had been building as a bit of a combination in that little three, three week patch that they played together and uh, yeah we just, apparently that form is of no use to anyone and doesn't mean anything. And uh, we're now playing them again in foreign positions. So, look, I also... I don't understand the omission of Mitchell Hinge, um, particularly the way Brodie Smith and Tom Diday are playing at the moment. But more importantly, it just means that we use Jordan Dawson in a defensive capacity. And did we spend all that currency for an intercept halfback flanker? Nicky, is that is that really what we went so hard on Jordan Dawson for, so that he could play as a, a sweeper across halfback? <laughs> well, it seems so. Um, Unbelievable. But we, we do. You have you have to remember, we really do like our sweeping halfback flankers. We've got how many of them? One hundred and four. Um, yeah. The the other thing I actually found very interesting in selection, and we've done this a number of times, is that we've dropped players on form. So you've been dropped for form. You're not quite up to snuff. We're going to drop you. 
but we're still going to let you be the traveling emergency for the game. That, to me, yeah. no wonder there's no faith um, from the players to the coaching staff because if you don't perform, you're not really going to get dropped. You, you're going to be coddled along for for certain players is, is what it seems like. I spoke a little bit with Maka last week about uh, trust and uh, as a team, you've got to have trust in your teammates, but you've also got to have trust in your coach. And I would imagine there's some young lads at the moment that are losing a little bit of trust and faith in selection and uh, the coach's positional um, uh, um, concepts because, you know, uh, a lot of them just don't make sense. So, you know, Sam, Sam Berry would have to be very resilient at the moment to be putting up with what he's putting up with. And thankfully, when he is given an opportunity, he is making the most of it. And he was clearly our most dynamic midfielder today uh, with limited opportunities. Um, Matt Crouch was, uh, you know, the usual from Matt Crouch. Rory Laird. Uh, Rory Laird and Matt Crouch combined for 50 handballs from 70-something disposals. I mean, that's unbelievable. 50 handballs from 70-odd disposals between the two of them. And neither of them were effective. Well, no, they weren't. Uh, There was one passage of play on the outer wing, I think it might have been in the second quarter, where I think of those 50 handballs, I think they probably accumulated about 10 of them in one passage of play, where they basically just played pass the parcel, and neither of them... Uh, I don't know whether you recall that one, Tim, but neither of them actually showed any intent to move the ball forward. They were just running little lateral overlaps and giving the ball to each other for about 30 seconds. Well, I averaged together earlier today the uh, metres gained for the three main amigos, the Crouch, Laird and Keys, and I think it came out to about eight metres per disposal on average. (laughs) So... I could kick further than that, and I don't kick legal distance. Yeah, I mean, you could... Ideally, an AFL midfielder should be able to run with the ball further than eight metres. That's just a couple of steps for an AFL midfielder. (laughs) I mean... We got the three slowest. Well, yes. I mean, that's an issue. I I think, though, with these things, it, it... And this is something I was... Mentioning on Bigfooty earlier today, it's it's a coach. It, it can't. I think at this point it comes down to a coaching problem, because if you're sitting there and we know that Matt Crouch led these players love to handball the ball, they've always been handball focused players. It's up to the coaches to instruct these players that that's not acceptable. That that's not the way that we want to play. That we want to play with a better kick to handball ratio or to kick the ball. So. For me to sit, sit here and what, what did Crouch get? Like you were saying, or Laird, he got 30 handballs or something? Something like Why that, Why aren't yeah. the coaches sitting there and telling him, stop handballing it? Like, stop messing around in the, you know, just outside defensive 50 by handballing it five metres to one another or to stationary players or backwards or to the ruckman and tell them to move the ball more effectively. <laughs> like, well, at this point, surely this has to be the way that Nick's wants to play. Well, uh, look, Tim, the simple fact is he could answer that question in selection and he has answered it in selection because his preferred midfield includes Matty Crouch and Rory Laird. Um, Now, if he had a problem with the way they were using the ball and moving the ball, then uh, he would break that up. He wouldn't have sacrificed Jack Hately and Sam Berry. But clearly, he 
obviously is happy with Matt Crouch and Rory Laird in the midfield, along with Ben Keys. But that's the only answer you can come to after 14 rounds of football. You know, he dropped Matt Crouch for five minutes and all Matt Crouch had to do is have a Matt Crouch game in the twos. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, look, he had 40-odd disposals. Um, and he's back in. So there, there doesn't seem to me to be any accountability for the the manner in which we play. Uh, you know, um, uh, Riley O'Brien, you know, got, got a little kick up the backside in the twos, but all he had to do was have uh, one or two games. And, you know, fair enough, he dominated in the twos, but so he bloody should. Um, we don't seem to have any interest in rejuvenating our midfield. It seems to me that the coaching staff, based on their selection, don't think that our midfield is the problem. Um, I've got a question and- for you mm. on Matt Crouch and his, his dropping. Mm. So... Nick's clearly stated multiple times in, in press conferences that Crouch was dropped to work on certain things, which is mentioned for many players that he's dropped. So it's not just Crouch. He constantly talks about, you know, he's going back to work on something, not going to mention what it is or whatever. Yeah. And then obviously he comes back. So Nick's must have seen whatever he was sent back to improve on actually mm-hmm. being improved. And yeah. then that would allow him to be selected again for the AFL side. So my question to you is, what actually was improved? Because I don't see anything in his game now, post him being brought back from the Sandfall, that's any different to how he was playing at the start of the year. 100%, mate. And, Nick, I'm sure you'd agree with me that um, Matt Crouch was at his most effective when he was at least moving the ball forward by foot. And in 2016-2017, what we got from Matt Crouch was um, nice little chiselers, 25-metre chiselers, the diagonal kicks, um, moving the ball forward. Matt Crouch, at any opportunity, will, will move the ball laterally or backwards. Now, he does not seem to have the ability um, to see forward of the contest. So, I don't know. Was that is that what he had to work on? Kicking the ball backwards more? I don't know. Um but I, I think you're right. What what you're actually saying, Tim, is that that was a was a folly um, from Nix. It, it it you know there was pressure on to drop Nix cause, uh, to drop Crouch because he had a bad game or two. Um, but he, all, all he had to do was have a good game, which apparently is just to rack up possessions. Is that how you see it, Nick? Yeah, um, completely and utterly. He's. His first instinct is to go that backwards. And there's a couple of times, like, when he has been dropped or there's been a lot of pressure on him or he seems to get a talking to and he seems to be banned from going backwards. And we actually get a decent-ish game from him because he will actually look forward and will make those proactive handballs and those little chip passes. Now, he doesn't have a big penetrating kick. We know that. But he did have some decent-ish disposals and choices to go forward but he but immediately the game after that he reverts back to type and there were a number of moments in today's game where we were flicking the ball around um quite a bit and he's standing there absolutely flat-footed whilst everybody else is moving and of course the ball goes to him um but because he's so flat-footed and just ball watching it, it's either a turnover 
or uh, one of our players then has to go and fix up his mistake because he's not being actively involved. And that made me very angry. There was a moment in the third quarter where on, on the near side wing where uh, our, our blokes, and I forget who else was involved, but our blokes worked very hard along the boundary to keep the ball um, in play and to, to get it uh, free. And then a ball was shot inside to Matt Crouch about uh, 10 metres in the clear. Now, Matt was stationary at the time. Now, Matt didn't even think about doing anything else he didn't move he didn't think about doing anything else all he did was shot the handball back to where the ball came from um, and the ball ended up being you know uh, forced out of bounds so we handball out of congestion and all Matt had to do was turn around and look inside to see that we had runners through the corridor but he didn't even bother to look. He basically just handballed it straight back to where it came from, back into the congestion. It was such a defensive, defensively-minded thing to do. Um, and I can't see how, as a coach, any how, how you'd be happy with, with someone doing that, a, a senior player. How could you be happy with somebody doing that? Tim, I can't work it out. Well, uh, yeah, I think there's a few. I am, and I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist myself, but is his selection based on the fact that he's simply contracted, like that he's got a contract for next year? He's 27, so it's it's not like we can drop him to the twos and sit around and be like, oh, well, you know, he's at the end of his career because he's 31. You know, he's he's sort of his body's packed in or whatever, you know, he, 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 he's playing worse now than he was playing several years ago, but he's still contracted and he should be in the prime of his career. So there's, are we just playing him because we can't sell it to the average supporter that he shouldn't be in the team, like to the, you know, the apricot slice brigade or whatever people want to call them. Are we, are we sitting here and just playing him because we can't defend dropping him to them? Well, I harken back to the uh, statement that Nick's made a few weeks ago that, that, where he said that we had a stacked midfield. And that seems to belie what you're saying, Tim. I think they rate our midfield. We have a stacked midfield. It's hard for the youngsters to break in because we have a stacked midfield. You know, this stacked midfield, um, 85% of centre-bounce attendances are attended by the same three players. And every week, the same three players... You know, break even or, or win clearance numbers, and they do quite well in contested possessions. But surely, surely, you've got to look beyond the raw numbers because there is a massive difference between winning a clearance that amounts to nothing, or winning a clearance that actually sets up play. Um, and the big stat that we'll have a look at shortly is score involvements. And if you're winning clearances and your midfield's working cohesively then those midfielders should be um, heavily involved in your scoring chains. And that's not the case. You know, as you pointed out before, Tim, that their metres gained per disposal is negligible um, and they're not really uh, integral to our score involvement. So their inside 50s numbers are low. Um, you know, they're not running through half forward and having shots on goal. They're not hitting the scoreboard themselves. You know, they're... That they're too much of the same and I think the biggest area and, and it really stood out to me today the biggest area where it hurts us is on transition because 
because Laird and Crouch in particular are such inside-minded, they gravitate to where the ball is. And what ends up happening is we don't get any spread on transition whatsoever. So we'll work the ball out of defence, we'll get to the wing and then we stop because we've got no more options or we have to go down the line. And it's simply because those two lads aren't running to to uh, dangerous places on the ground. They're just going... They're just running to where they think the next contest is going to be. Um, and on transition, yeah, exactly. you, want, you want your midfielders to be creative. You want them to run to dangerous positions, not only to get the ball themselves, but also to create space for others to run into. And that's what we don't get from Laird and Crouch. We don't get them running to dangerous spaces on transition. I think Gold Coast today scored about 13-odd goals on turnover, and it's simply because our transition breaks down on half-forward because we run out of room. That's what I saw. Yeah, and I think... Well, there's quite a few things here. I think there's a lot of coaching issues here. There's, it's Because it's not just that Laird and Matt Crouch aren't doing these specific things that they should be doing. It's, that the coach, it's the coach's job to tell them what to do, right? Like, it's yeah. the coach's job to put them into the right positions. And if you look at the best teams this year, the teams like Melbourne, Brisbane, um, even Fremantle, those sorts of sides, you look at how they work in clearances and stoppage situations. They've got players that... If you're an inside player, you look to handball or kick it to the advantage of your outside midfielders. So the best players like Clayton Oliver, for example, when they get the ball in a stoppage, they try and handball it at sort of often a 45 towards a player on the outside like an Ed Langdon type who is a better user of the ball, is free, is in a better position and is able to move the whole team in a forwards direction. Whereas our mm. players, players in particular players like Laird, and you know, Laird's been Laird would be a fine midfielder, you know, as a sort of a third or fourth midfielder in a in a good team. But Laird often gets the ball out the back of his stoppage and just immediately kicks it. Mm. But there's no he he doesn't even think to handball it to a player who's in a better position. And we've just traded in Jordan Dawson, who should be playing on the wing as an outside midfielder. He should be, you know, we've spent this currency to get this player who's a very good user of the football. We saw multiple times good inside 50 kicks from him just in today's game. And instead, instead of coaching players like Laird and Crouch and Keys to utilize a player like Dawson on the outside, what we do is we still allow Laird to get the ball out the back and hack kick it forward. So it goes 35 meters and about... 50 metres in the air, and then it's just marked easily by the opposition. And, and then on top of that, we yeah. shove Jordan Dawson in a back pocket so that he's so far away from our midfielders that they can't possibly be used in those situations. So the whole setup there is completely wrong. The midfielders should be taught to be playing an attacking style. And we saw that from players like Saligo, who has a mindset that when he gets the ball, he should be handballing it forwards he should be trying to be creative with it and i saw on multiple occasions players like him and berry handball it forwards this place where a player like rory laird should be and mm. rory laird wasn't there wasn't he there. was like five meters behind the contest yeah. like these are all coaching issues the, the positioning of the players is wrong the way they're using the the ball is wrong and i think it comes down to how the way these players were playing previously under previous coaches where Scott Camparelli loved the midfield setup where 
get the ball out the back and just hat kick it and hope for the best up forward. Yep. And I don't think that's how AFL should be played today. Well, certainly if you don't have big marking forwards like bloody Max King, um, you know, we don't have that tall timber. Um, so that's not the way you need forward entries. And we're so vulnerable from that because the entries that we get from those sort of clearances are, are very shallow and easily rebounded. We're generally out of position. I'll tell you the other knock-on effect, Tim, of that is that I think the what Nix has tried to do, uh, which explains another selection anomaly, if you ask me, what Nix has tried to do to alleviate our lack of um, options on transition He's picking small forwards to play high half forward. And I think that this is why we see James Rowe on the team, why we see Nebuch Henry, why we've seen a lot of Lockie Murphy, and they're all up very high. And the reason for that is because we don't have enough options on transition if we don't have those players playing up high. The, The downside of that is that because they're coming from the forward line, first of all, they're facing away from goal when they get the ball, which is not what you want. And secondly, it robs us of ground ball getters uh, when the ball goes into our forward line, which means that the ball comes out quite quickly. And we're not able to put a lot of defensive pressure on And The only bloke down there that is really able to apply defensive pressure is uh, Shane McAdam. So there's all these knock-on effects because of selection. You know, we haven't got Jordan... Dawson in a position where we can utilise his skills in an attacking way. We haven't got creative midfielders. Um, you know, we, we push up high with our small forwards to try and provide options, um, and therefore we're not very potent. And, and we, you know, in the first couple of games this year, we weren't doing that. And then as we've started to do that, you know that, know that our, our scoring has dropped off quite substantially. We've gone from being able to score 13 to 15 goals a game to being down, you know, struggling to get over 10 goals a game because we're so impotent up forward. Um, so there's a lot and of I, things. I think there's more flow and effects than what you're just saying. I think it goes all the way into defence. You know, people earlier were, you know, eviscerating Tom Duday, who, I mean, he had a poor game today. And, you know, there was a, a Jordan Dawson turnover in the back lines and all those sorts of things that, you know, cause issues for our players. And I think it's the defenders often just sitting there, they look up the field. And as you say, all our midfielders are sort of their inside types that gravitate towards the ball are. They're not spreading and providing options for mm. defenders who are looking to kick it out of the back lines, which then means that you have to bring the small forwards up, as you were just saying, because, again, there's no options. So we need more players to create options, and there's no one up forward. And then we're required to play Dawson down back because all of our, you know, Nick's is sort of looking at our setup and saying, well, why can't we kick it out of defence? Um, we got no one that has the disposal and creativity to do that. But even when you send Dawson down there, sometimes he's looking up and he's seeing absolutely jack shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's just absolutely nothing for him to do and kick to. And it, it creates a problem for all the players down there. And then, you know, and in my opinion, a player like Tom Duday, you know, he should be playing like Tom Stewart from Geelong. He's the perfect player to be playing that sort of intercept role. But we never seem to bother trying to orchestrate him into a free role. Like we're just like, okay, okay, Tom, um, here, play on play on a Ruckman or play on Casbolt yeah. or just try and chop out and, and help. But, you know, we're not trying to make him the architect of defense. We're trying to sort of 
make him the third tall and then play Dawson there. But then Dawson, we also want him to play up the field. So he's not there necessarily all the time. It's just a huge mess. Like yeah, the coaching setup across the field from defense, midfield and the forward line is a mess. And the the thing of it is, and well, there's a couple of issues around Tom today. First of all, he's got a busted hand. So he's clearly having trouble gripping the ball. He's kicking his off as a consequence. He's, he's a bit, uh, caged with that hand because obviously it's giving him some discomfort we dropped a lo- almost a like for like in Mitch Hinge Mitch Hinge can take an intercept mark, he's got good disposal um, by foot um, he's quite tough, he's strong um, and he's got a, a nice long kick so Tom Duday should be what Jordan Dawson is and in the past Tom Duday has played that role and played it particularly well um, exactly. I don't know why we're not... If we're not trusting Tom to do that because of his injury, then he shouldn't be playing. And we've got 10,000 other halfback flankers um, that can play that role. Again, it comes down to trust. And this is this has been my, I guess, my theme for the last couple of weeks. I don't think the coach actually trusts certain players in the positions that they've been selected or drafted to play. You know, Mitch Hinge is a guaranteed, bona fide, tough halfback flanker. And we obviously need that player, but instead we use Jordan Dawson, who is an absolute weapon on the outside and should be uh, the prime mover into forward 50 like we used to use Paul Seedsman. Um, but instead he's languishing across halfback, getting jumped on the whole time and being expected to, to kick threading the needle passes to find blokes that aren't really making space it's as you rightly point out nick and i'd be uh tim and i'd be interested in your thoughts on that too nicky with selection um it's just a mess as far as as far as i'm concerned yeah completely absolutely that's what i didn't like the selection uh when i saw what had happened um and the fact that certain players were still in the team and if we if we're doing this as a genuine rebuild and I know we've spoke I I can't understand how we've said this for so many weeks if this is a genuine rebuild then you do not rebuild with a players who are injured or b players who are not going to be here in one or two years you do no, not need sense, to your team you do not need um Land in the team. You do not need Crouch in the team. I mean, I mean, Land's still got a few little bit goes, but the way he's playing, I don't think he deserves to be in the team. Um, and you look at, you know, what's happening in our SNFL team and the way they're playing there, it's more fun to go and watch the SNFL team than it is to watch the AFL team, and that shouldn't be happening. Well, happily... Um... Harry Schoenberg had a had a good game uh, this weekend. Um, I think Lockie Gallant also had a good game. So, um, you know, Shuey, Cook, uh, Gallant, uh, even Josh Worrell, there's, there's four or five players there that just need to be yeah. given some time. And I think it's also time, for better or worse, that we just let Fisher Mackesy have a run um, because... As it stands at the moment, that lad's going to go back to Victoria having played, what, three or four games for Adelaide um, and 
and that's your pick six. And I know he's a big guy, and I know they take longer. But if that's if that's your pick six, then uh, what what a waste! What an absolute waste! I think one of the big issues with the, the things that we've just been talking about is that Nick seems to prefer players of a certain type of player. And by that, I mean a player who is a very good, I, I guess they're a trier, right? Like they they know the team structure and the setup, you know, they can tackle hard and, and chase hard and, and all that. And those are the players that, to use your word, uh, Phoenix, they trust, right? Like they trust, yeah. Nick's trusts a player like Lockie Murphy. He trusts a player like Ned McHenry. He trusts a player like, you know, Ben Keyes, even though Ben Keyes has been, been good this year, but th- that sort of player. And what he doesn't seem to trust is the player that is clearly highly skilled, clearly is going to be a creative player for us and have that sort of spark and X factor, but maybe isn't you know, fully up with the the structures for AFL or doesn't have the body to, you know, go in hard for every single contest or whatever. Players like, you know, Cook, for example, yeah. who I think is yeah. going to be a very good player for us. Um, you see Nick's preferring these types. I think it's just the wrong type to prefer in a rebuild. A player like Lockie Murphy, for all his, you know, pressure and, um, you know, doing the team things that he does, he's not going to improve his skill. Like his skill is his skill. It's that's the level of a player that he is. Whereas a player like Cook, hopefully he'll be able to adjust more to the speed of AFL and learn the game plan and you know build his pressure and tank all those sorts of things. But he'll be able to build that while maintaining his elite skills. And I, I find it really frustrating that you know we're seeing that Cook's currently in the the SNFL, um, you know, Mackesy we drafted at pick six. He, we should be sort of trusting that maybe he can play a role for us somewhere on the field, just yeah. give him a try. Yeah. I'd certainly prefer to see him than a player like Himmelberg or Frampton back in the team. Yeah. Um, you know, Luke Pedler, surely we should be trying to get him into the team because he has some skills that would be very useful for us. But no, we have to prefer a player like McHenry, who's been, again, good in some matches, but... Yeah, you know, we've got this pick 11 with burst pace as a midfielder that surely we should be trying to prioritise players like that in our team where we can. Well, and the other thing is too, um, Tim, that blokes like McHenry and uh, Murphy, the times that they have played well has actually been when they've played in positions that they were selected for, that they were drafted for. Now, Lucky Murphy has actually done very well around the contest when he's been up around stoppage. He's quite a good clearance player, and he tends to use the ball creatively when he gets the ball. He can get separation, um, and he tends to use the ball all right. But we don't use him that way. Ned McHenry, I remember um, um, back when Ned and and Chase first came into the side, uh, uh, first came into the club, and they started, uh, Nick, you remember this, they, they actually started quite a nice little combination in the twos, um, you know, through the midfield. You know, and now we've got McHenry playing high half forward um, and we've got Chase Jones playing in, uh, in a back pocket. We didn't persevere with, with either of those two lads in the position that they were actually drafted for. You know, we've got Sam Berry, who's played more in forward pocket than he's played in the middle, despite excelling and showing that he can that he can keep his feet that he's got good core strength and that he uses the ball positively out of congestion but we just refuse to play him there Luke Peddler's another if we didn't think he was fit enough why did we select him with pick 10 or whatever it was 
you know, there are others. So, you know, Harry Schomburg goes through a slump in form. Well, do you think that's maybe because you're playing him on a half-forward flank instead of playing him as an outside mid, which or an inside-outside mid, which is what he basically is? At some stage, these lads are going to lose trust in the coach and in the selection committee because they, they, they simply won't be enjoying their football because they're not playing in the position that they've grown up playing, that they've been drafted to play, um, and that they've excelled at um, all throughout their careers to date um, at the expense of uh, blokes who simply, <clears throat> as we've gone on ad infinitum, just aren't cutting it. Um, and so I think, you know, whether we've got, whether we lack flair in the coaching box, I mean, we've got Matthew Nick, Scotty Burns, uh, Nathan Van Burlow, James Raleigh, None of them really played with any flair. Uh, they're all workmanlike people, uh, players, all good players, mind you, but workmanlike. Um, maybe that's what they value. I think you're right, Tim. Uh, Nick certainly values ground ball and work ethic and repeat efforts and all that sort of stuff, which is great. But I don't think you win. Look at St Kilda. They've got all of that at the moment. They lack flair and they're, and they're hitting a ceiling at about, you know, five to eight on the premiership ladder. That's where we're heading with the current philosophies, in my opinion. And it especially doesn't make a whole lot of sense, you know, from a team structure perspective. I mean, you look at what last week we were playing, or was it the week before? In, in the previous weeks, we've been playing all of Roe, Murphy and McHenry in the side, in addition to McAdam and other forwards. Yep. Is it necessary to play all three of those players? You know, we had two of them out there today, McHenry and Rowe, which is better than having all three. Obviously, Murphy was subbed in, you know, in the third quarter or whenever it was. Yeah. But surely, you know, that, that that's an opportunity that we should be taking. We sort of see, oh, well, we've got all these small defensive forwards that don't really do all that much. Um, not kicking a heap of goals, you know, maybe one of them bobs up every now and then, has a good week. But surely that's an opportunity to play someone like Cook or play someone even like Newchurch, who, you know, has had a lot of criticism with the way he plays in the Sandfall and not necessarily getting involved all the time. Maybe his defensive work isn't amazing, but, you know, he's shown that he can kick goals. <laughs> he's shown that he has yeah. a little bit of flair. And we're in a rebuild, like, yeah. there's nothing to lose from next week, right, we're playing North Melbourne, right? They're a terrible side, and we just played West Coast the previous week, another terrible side that's clearly tanking. What was there to lose from playing New Church? Instead, yeah. we decided to roll out Murphy, Rowe, and McHenry all in the same team yet again. It's like that's just, like, the ceilings for some of those players is relatively low, and I just don't think that we're making the most of the rebuild and the games that we have available when we're selecting the team like that. Yeah, 100% agree. All right, let's uh, look at some head-to-head stats, shall we, um, while we are on the subject. So disposals, heavily in Adelaide's favour, 406 to 325. Uh, kicks, 211 to 217. Handballs, 195 to 108. So almost a one-to-one ratio for us and almost a uh, two-to-one ratio for Gold Coast. Uh, inside 50s as a result, 62 to Gold Coast, 44 to um, Adelaide. Now, if you can only get the ball in 44 times with 406 disposals, um, so 10 disposals per entry, um, there's something going wrong. It's just That's got to stick out. Um, 
A disposal efficiency. Whoops. A disposal efficiency for both. Is that right? 34%? That can't be right, surely. 34% AFL apps telling me. For both sides, that can't be right. Uh, I don't think those efficiency numbers are right. Um, if we have a look at contested possessions, a pretty even 144 to 140 in the Suns' favour. Uncontested possessions, look at how much ball we had on the outside, um, which translated to how much we wasted it. 260 uncontested possessions to 171 in our favour. So we had the ball without a contest 260 times, at 90 times more than Gold Coast, and had 20 less inside 50s. Uh, turnovers were even, uh, hitouts were even. I thought it was an interesting contest between the two ruckmen. Um, Riley O'Brien, though, again, had very little influence around the ground. Um, and as I've said a hundred times, if Riley's not taken marks around the ground, then he's a waste of space. Um, but of course, Kieran Strawn won't get another game this season. Clearances, we won 39 35, but. A clearance is a clearance, whether it's a creative handball to the outside or a hat kick to uh, the opposition's halfback flanker. Uh, Centre clearances, we lost 13-10. Stoppage clearances, we won 22, uh, 29-22. Uh, marks, 90-80. to 80, That's not surprising, given how much outside ball we had. Marks inside, 50. 14-11, which is a little surprising. Uh, contested marks, 10-9. Defensively, we had 66 tackles, which underscores that we are a hard-working side. I don't think that's ever been in question. Tackles inside 50, pretty even, 16 to 15. Um, 1% is fairly even as well. So, you know, the telling stat is just the amount of ball that we had and how little we were able to use it and get it into a position where we could put score on the board. I reckon about... How many, how many handballs was that? 195 handballs. I reckon we had 170 of those handballs in between the defensive 50 arc and the centre of the ground in the pockets. 100%. The amount of times we were just yeah. handballing in circles, we just had all our midfielders there just bouncing around, and then for us to turn it over just as we reach halfway and Gold Coast get it inside 50 in like two kicks. Uh, it's just shocking. Yeah. Well, I reckon about yeah. 50 of those handballs were between Crouch and Laird in one passage of play. <laughs> what do you reckon, Nick? Oh, no, occasionally they had keys in there too. Um, <laughs> it, it's interesting because I was just kind of looking at, like, the disposal efficiency stats for, like, all those top players, and they had us, like, around 80% and 70, you know, between the 70 and 80% mark. But it, it's so misleading because you're right. It's these stupid, pissy little handballs. There's no penetration and kick. There's no looking out to see because the number of times we actually did see those panicked little handballs back and you could see the vision that we had clear players and they were in the centre of the ground in a really attacking position and we just didn't use them. No. Is that a confidence issue? you why those... I'll tell you why those players had such good disposal efficiency and why they handballed so much. Ben Keyes had 15% kick efficiency. <laughs> you had Matt Crouch and Rory Laird at 50% kick efficiency. Yeah, so yeah. what's an easy way to bump up their disposal efficiency? Well, it's to just handball it five metres to a teammate. Yeah, and then get it back. Yeah, for once they went, 
Yeah, for once they actually didn't handle to the feet, which seems to be an Adelaide speciality. I was I was quite surprised about that. I thought, oh yay, we're no longer handballing to our teammates' feet. Yeah, it's uh, look, it's it's quite obvious. Uh, we don't have any dynamic players, and that's exactly why we recruited blokes like Jordan Dawson, and we're just not using him in that fashion. And to me, it's a reflection on the coaching panel. And uh, like you correctly pointed out, Tim, it's what they value most. And what they value most is effort and ground ball and, uh, you know, all those grunt stats. And there's not a lot of value placed on uh, the bloke with a bit of flair. Like, look, Wayne Miller, I don't think, should be in the side at the moment. But if you're going to play Wayne Miller... I don't think having him coming up to meet the ball on a half-forward line is the answer. You need to have him working towards the forward 50, not running away from it and having to turn. And, uh, you know, he's better off... He's just simply better off half-back or or off a wing. Um, You know, I don't know why they want to turn him into a forward. He's not a forward, in my opinion. And the couple of times that he did get free, I do recall one nice little lace out he kicked to Shane McAdam that uh, resulted in a shot on goal. And that's where we need Miller. That's where we need Jordan Dawson. We need those blokes that can deliver into forward 50, can, that can take the dish off from, you know, stagnant players like Laird and Crouch um, so that they don't have to handball to each other. You know, but those blokes aren't available because they're pl- being played out of position. Um, look, let's go through some individual stats real quick. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this. Uh, Laird, 42 disposals, 12 and 30. Uh, six tackles, five clearances, 284 metres gained. Um, he had uh, two inside 50s only from those 40-odd disposals. Uh, seven score involvements, three intercepts, um, 11 contested possessions. So... A bit of a nothing game, really, uh, for all that. Uh, certainly, didn't 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 impact the game. Uh, Jordan Dawson, thirty-two disposals, did impact the game. Just unfortunately, not in a way that re- was able to result in goals for us. Twenty-two kicks, ten handles, uh, six marks, uh, two tackles, seven hundred and fourteen meters gained. Um, he had three inside fifties only, and that's the rub. If, you, if Geordie's going to have that many touches, particularly that many kicks, you want him to have double, if not triple, inside 50s. Uh, six score involvements, 11 intercepts, um, six contested positions, 21 on the outside. A good game from Geordie, I thought. Matt Crouch, 31 disposals, only 10 kicks, 21 handballs, uh, four marks, seven tackles, seven clearances, 264 metres gained. Um, he had um, one centre clearance, five score involvements uh, from all those touches, um, 12 contested possessions. This is the other thing. Got a bloke like Matt Crouch and uh, Rory Laird, uh, for all those possessions, uh, well, they have 71 con- uh, possessions between the two of them. Only 23 of them were contested. So only, you know, about a third were contested, which for your inside midfielders is not enough. Um, we had more from Sam Berry. We had more from Benny Keys. Um, we had 10 from Tex Walker, for goodness sake. So not enough contested ball, too much on the outside. Anyway, 
Benny Keys, 27 touches. I thought he didn't really impact the game much either, 13 and 14. He had four clearances, only 289 metres gained from our... Uh, the only midfielder that we've got that can actually get some separation. Um, two inside 50s only. Um, four score involvements only. 51% disposal efficiency, including, as Jim pointed out, 15 by foot. 12 contested possessions. Uh, and then we got Sam Berry, 25 touches, 10 of 15, had two marks, seven tackles, 12 clearances, if you don't mind. A game high, 12 clearances. This is from a lad who, I didn't see the CBA stats, but I don't reckon he attended more than about half a dozen 10 bounces, and he only spent 66% time on ground, had 12 clearances, if you don't mind. Um, three inside 50s, uh, nine score involvement, so... Uh, Aside from Tech's uh, team high score involvements, uh, 72% disposal efficiency and 14 contested possessions. So team high contested possessions, almost team high score involvements, um, team high contested, uh, sorry, team high clearances, 66% time on ground. What? Surely, uh, Tim and Nick, Surely the coach sees that. that they're, they're basic stats. The, the coaches would have a ton more stats than that. But they're basic stats, and that sticks out like crazy. And even more so is when you have at that three-quarter time break, after, particularly after that third quarter, is the commentators absolutely talking him up about yeah. how great he was doing. And, like, and if... That then happens again in the next quarter. Adelaide were a chance to win. And what are they doing the whole time they're doing that? We're watching Barry walk the bench. Yeah, he's on the pine. I mentioned that at the beginning. It was absolutely ridiculous. If ever, like any other sport, if you play basketball, for example, if some bloke gets a hot hand, you pass it to him. You know, if someone's got a mismatch yeah. in NFL, a wide receiver or, or a, an outside um like a tight end or whatever, that's where the ball goes. Any other sport where you can see that a bloke is in a vein of form or has a mismatch or is on top of his opponent, that's where the ball goes. What what do we do? We start him on the bench. I couldn't believe it. Could not believe it. I mean, it's it's coming from a, a club that decided that Sam Berry in his first year was actually a small forward. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> it's not like we've made great decisions regarding his positioning previously, but I think that, that, again, goes back to what you were saying, Phoenix, about the trust. They don't trust Sam Berry, despite all those brilliant stats that you were talking about and basically being our best-performing midfielder. They didn't trust him to perform when the game was on the line and there to be won. You know, the, we got to a point where we were, what, 12... 13-something points down in the fourth yep. quarter. Yep. And so we, we clearly were in a position where, you know, if everything goes to plan, we could win the game. But then, as you say, they are just like, no, Sam Berry, sorry, you're not experienced enough. You don't have enough experience credits. So we're going to actually play uh, Matt Crouch, Rory Laird, and Ben Keys in the centre. And I think Gold Coast kicked the first goal of the final quarter. So... Yep. Yep. Um, that's right. Yeah, that's kind of uh, that's how it goes. That's exactly right. Um, just a reminder for those in the studio audience: if you do want to have your say, stick your hand up, and we'll try and get you on. 
Um, look, Jack Hately, 25 touches, only nine kicks and 16 handballs, which from an outside player isn't enough um, uh, by foot. Uh, 333 metres gained, um, uh, four inside 50s, five score involvements, uh, seven contested possession. Just clearly being played out of position. It's as simple as that. Simple as that. Um, James Rowe, 24 touches. I can't say that I felt he was very... Um, influential at all. Brody Smith had a shocker, in my opinion. Twenty touches, fourteen and six, uh, four hundred and sixty-nine meters gained. But I don't think those meters gained really amounted to anything um, because he only had two two inside fifties um, and only two score involvements. Um, so where's this turnover stat, Brody? Um, the issue with Brody Smith is it's another another coaching problem. Right, we've got a player who is thirty years old. He's played what two hundred games? I'm just yeah, having a look now. Yeah, over two hundred games. He's been in Australia many years ago. Clearly, he's been a good player, and somehow we don't bother enforcing it to him that he can't just hat kick it randomly. Yeah. Like he is the classic case of a player that gets it in defence. Looks up the field and, yeah, we've talked about how some of our players don't exactly provide the best options or whatever, but he doesn't even seem to look. Like He doesn't no. seem to take a, a brief second to sort of assess the field, see where the players are and make a good decision. He's just like, I'm just going to get ball and then kick ball long every yep. single time. And it, I really wish the AFL had a stat that was like, second possession meters gained or something yeah. that would combine yeah. you know, how far the ball went on the first possession and then how far it went the disposal after that because Brody Smith would have to be, especially this year, negative in that sort of stat. Just kick it long, kick it 40 meters, and then it'll go 50 meters back the other way because he's kicked it just to no one. Yeah, and the problem with that is twofold. Not only do we turn the ball over, but because we've got the ball when it's in his hand, we're all running forward. Uh, and the ball turns around and we're all out of position. Um, you know, it's been terribly wasteful, Brody. His kicking technique doesn't lend itself to being able to kick consistently over short distances. Um, it's his, his technique is purely designed to kick the ball long. It's a slinging action and it's not accurate. And we've been saying this for years about Brody Smith and it's getting worse, not better. So Jake Saligo, on the other hand, had exactly the same disposal stats, uh, 14 and 6, and yet I thought he was far more creative with ball in hand. Um, five marks as well, 368 metres gained for Jake Saligo. Um, he had two inside 50s, four score involvement, six intercepts, uh, nine contested possessions. Sort of faded out of it after... I thought he had an excellent first quarter, faded out for a little while, and then sort of was in and out of the game after that. Um, but from you know the third game or fourth, fourth game or whatever he is, um, it just shows some really good signs in my opinion, and should just remain in the team. So we'll probably get dropped next week. He's the sort of player that just knows where he should be handballing it to, or where he should be kicking it to naturally. Which is, I know that sounds ridiculous because AFL players really should have that skill. You know, you kind of an elite player at the level but whatever most of our midfielders don't have that he has that where he just sees where the space is he sees i can handball if, if i handball this low it's not going to get smothered so i will handball it low whereas a player like matt crouch would just handball it anyway and it would just get smothered so i think that's 
one of the key things I've seen from Saligo that's been really, really impressive. And yeah, at times he's kind of been burnt by his teammates, where as I said earlier, you know, sometimes he handballs it to space where Rory Laird should be and then he's not there and then it just goes nowhere. But hopefully over time the teammates around him will start supporting him and really making use of his creativity better than what is currently happening in the team. Uh, we've got a couple of players that can uh, see the game like Jake. Um, Harry Schomburg certainly last season was the same, and Sam Berry's the same. And you'll notice that sometimes Sam will also handball to a spot where a bloke ought to be, and he's not there because we just don't have the outside talent or the midfield talent. Um, but what they do do is move the ball forward through congestion. Uh, they don't go backwards in congestion. They move the ball forward. Um, and Jake, I thought, showed real intent today to move the ball forward and to try to create with his possessions. I thought it was a good game. Wayne Miller at 19 touches, 6 and 13. Uh, I don't know why half-forward flanker has 13 touches, except that he's running away from goal, so he's got to handball it to the bloke running past. And, of course, that's not how we want to use Wayne Miller. We want to use his foot skills. So another bloke um, out of position, only 161 metres gained, um, and, uh, you know, only two inside 50s, six score involvements, uh, five contested posies. He's just... He's, back to goal is no good uh, as far as I'm concerned. Nick? I don't think he earned his spot back, and I think... No, he didn't. I, I wonder if the Crows sort of wilted under the media pressure of people constantly asking where Wayne Miller was because it seems like every single week if you you know watch the presses on the AFL Crows website you know they constantly ask you where's Miller or how's Miller going you know are we going to see him back in the team after two years out week after week and you know Nick's has to sit there seeing oh you know he's he's working hard in the sandfall you know does it get to the point where the the Crows just can't tolerate that anymore and they're like well if people are constantly asking us why he's not in the team why then why isn't he in the team um when really the the crows should be you know immune to that sort of pressure i guess and be able to make decisions without that sort of influence because it really just felt like the, the media was just constantly talking about him and then suddenly he's in the team after doing what i would class as not enough to warrant a recall based on his sample form certainly not over other players Nick, I reckon that's true, and also for Matty Crouch, what do you reckon? Oh, spot on. And, but you know what? If Nick's actually is a very strong coach, and because there's a bit of interesting discussion going um, in the, the chat at the moment about our previous coach and the press conferences we would get from him and the discussion you were just having then just made me think that I, if we had him still coaching, that the answer to that about Miller, where's Miller, would be, well, he's playing in the SNFL. Why don't you go along? Why don't you, as a journalist, go along and watch him? And you tell nah. me. That'd be too. And easy. how he's going. <laughs> yeah. He's right there. He's in the SNFL. You go watch him. You don't even need to watch You can watch it online. Like the, the game is exactly. like, yeah. you don't even have to watch it live. You can I, sit there on a Tuesday tax. morning watching it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the okay. SNFL app would be tax deductible for a journalist too, you know. wouldn't even cost them anything. <laughs> Precisely. Oh, I, I mean, think... if they'd watched it, they would actually know, well, he's not he's not playing well in the twos. He doesn't deserve to be in the, in the AFL team. I mean, granted, to today's game, I actually was 
happier with him because you could actually see him trying to be proactive and he was trying to make tackles and he was getting closer to opposition players, which he seems to be allergic to most of the time. Um, so I actually thought we got a, a decent game out of Wayne. But you're right, he's like many of our players, he's been played out of position. Yeah, uh, look, his selection in round one uh, was the one that indicated to me that they just wanted Miller in the team. But having got Miller in the team, they're just playing, they're just not using him correctly, in my opinion. Anyway, uh, Tommy today uh, had a bit of a shocker, 12 and 5, uh, 7 marks, uh, 292 metres gained. Um, uh where are we? Three score involvements, five intercepts, uh, only three contested possessions. How many marks did Tom take? Um, yeah, seven marks. Um, Tom's not in good form at the moment, but I think Tom's been absolutely burnt by our selection policy this season, which you pointed out earlier, Scorpus, has meant that often he's been played as a key position tool rather than intercept. Um, because of our refusal to play two key position defenders when we've needed to. Um, I think Tom is another one who is not being played in the role to which he's most suited and also think he's playing injured. So uh, we all know that I, there's a bit of uh, bit of hand-wringing in chat about, you know, today is hopeless and all the rest of it. I, look, he's not hopeless. We all know that he's a good player. Uh, but I think he's another victim of the strange selection policies that have been occurring this season to a large degree. If Tom Stewart at Geelong was played as the second key position defender for Geelong, he would be a shit player. And that is what Tom Duday has done for us too many times. I think it's not just, you know, the selection and all those sorts of issues. It's also the list management on the issue of our second key position defensive slot. And Nick Murray, I've no strong opinion on him as a player. I think he's going fine, but he is also a very inexperienced player. So effectively, the way our team is set up with Butts as our first key position, and then we sort of rotate through, you know, Murray, we've had Frampton in there. You know, these are very inexperienced players at the role of defense. So they're kind of leaving Duday to do these I guess, more lockdown defensive roles that is not what he's suited to doing. And, yeah, ideally a, a really elite player of his type would be able to play, I guess, a little bit of defensive actions at times. But we're talking about a sub-190 centimetre player. He can't play on Ruckman. He no, just physically right. can't do it. So I think he I, – I wouldn't trade him like some people in the in the chat have been talking about, but he needs to get back to playing as that intercept player. The player that sets up the defense is zoning off, he stands in the hole, and he's playing that role. But to do that, we need a player that is a really well-suited defensive sort of second tall that we can slot into the team. And in our list management, we just we just don't have that in our squad at the moment. We don't have an experienced player to play that role. Yeah. The problem, like Mac has pointed out, that um, Duday at his best is he's an interceptor. But we're also playing Dawson also as an interceptor. Exactly. Um, so why why do you have two of them? Um, there should only be one. And if they're um, doing it up with three tools and that 
that third tool is too tall for him, then you actually need to shuffle it around. That's why Hinge should never have been dropped, so that he then becomes actually the fourth. He's taking that fourth player, which means you get rid of Smith out of that back line and you put Duday into the Smith role, which I think is better for him because he plays that better mix of the, the smalls and tools. We're not getting anything out of Smithers. That's where we should be playing Duday, but I also don't think he should be playing at the moment because his hand is not right at all, and that's really affecting the way he plays. Yeah, it's obvious. And also, It's obvious. And also we've got on our list many, like the, the other week when Butts was out injured, imagine sitting there you're Josh Worrell or Borlace yeah. or Frampton or Mackesee or any other tall player on our entire list and you're sitting there at selection and they're like, uh, so we're actually not going to replace Butts with anyone. Yeah. Imagine you're like, Worrell, wouldn't you just be on the phone to your manager being like, yeah, so trade oh. me because they're clearly never going to play me. 100%. You know, Borlace should be the same. You know, prepare, like, you know, find a trade if there's one, but I guess if not, prepare me for playing Sandful next year. Because, like, I just couldn't imagine what it would be like being those players sitting there and having that decision thrown on them. Like, just play anyone, put, literally play anyone in the team in cover of butts so that Duday doesn't get absolutely monstered week in, week out. Yeah. Um, Surf's in the chat saying, well, isn't much chop anyway. Well, how would you know? We we gifted the guy one, one game uh, in bloody was that the game in cans i think we gifted yeah, him a game it was that horrible game in cans yep absolutely last, horrible last um, year and then we dropped him straight after he, he had a good run in the SANFL earlier in the season and uh didn't get anything and now his his forms um plateaued a bit yeah, I mean, you know. Anyway, uh, Riley O'Brien did what Riley O'Brien does, uh, broke even in the rucks, uh, didn't take many marks. In fact, he only took two marks, which is not enough. Um, so I thought he was average. Ned McHenry does what Ned does, 14 touches for 200 metres gained, a lot of defensive work, um, not much um, impact. Patrick Parnell, I thought was good, got knocked around a little bit, a couple of knocks, one to the Scon and one to his, uh, I think got a corky later in the game. Um, but I thought he was good, 11-3, and three, which is much better. Um, you know, 10 marks, which is excellent from a small defender. Uh, 205 metres gained, he'll probably gain more confidence uh, by foot and take more chances if uh, options are presented to him. Um, but I thought he was quite good. Um, I thought Actually, without preempting our our best player award, I actually thought Tex was our best player today overall. Um, fourteen kicks, uh, fourteen touches, twelve and two, eight marks, um, five tackles, four hundred and thirty-five meters gained. Um, he had uh, four inside fifties, um, ten score involvements, uh, ten contested possessions, uh, three tackles inside fifty as well. I. It was hard to pick best players today, but I thought overall, over four quarters, uh, Tex was probably our most dangerous player um, and was probably the only player who really consistently beat his opponent. What do you think, Nick? He he was, but he was also sometimes he, uh, that goal-kicking just annoyed me. Um, and like when he passed it off... <laughs> I mean, it's nice that he passed it off to the young bloke and everything else, but we were really in need of a goal, and it should have been a senior player stepping up there, not not a guy who's trying to kick his first goal in AFL ever. 
Our forward line is so lacking in players that Texas forced to play is basically every single role in the forward line. Yeah, like exactly. tall forward, marking forward, leading forward, <laughs> small forward, tackling forward. Yeah, crummer. Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to have a bit more forward talent up there because then he could play the role that he's currently playing and we wouldn't also rely on him for all the goals. You know, players like, you know, Rowe, as we were talking about earlier, what, he had 20-something disposals and kicked a goal. Mm. It'd be nice if maybe he was kicking three goals from 14 disposals mm-hmm. as a crumbing forward that he was drafted for instead of maybe a bit more. getting all those disposals up the ground. Yeah. Um, because, yeah... Texas trying to do so much. You know, he's trying to get players involved. You know, as you say, he was passing enough to Parnell to get his first goal at AFL level. He's doing all those things because our, just, our talent in the forward line just isn't there. Mm. Oh, half of them are up around the wing. <laughs> uh, uh, I thought Tex played well, well anyway. I, yeah, I, I think I joked a couple of weeks ago that the, the best disposal we actually have into our forward line is our forwards. Um, the only yeah. problem is... They then kind of have to run a lot to then go and catch it. Yeah, uh, Jordy, I thought played a right. Um, Jordy Butts, that is uh, twelve touches, five and seven. He's not there to get disposals. Obviously, took five marks, um, but I felt like uh, his defensive work, um, apart from one or two times where their tools, uh, Choi etc., got off the train. But by and large, I think Casbol and Child didn't really hurt us terribly um, I didn't think Nick Murray had as good a game this week so a couple of times he left butts a little bit exposed but I thought Geordie played his usual good game uh, McCannum uh, flashes in and out uh, his defensive work has been really good but he's another one I think that needs to actually present a little bit more particularly when Tex and or Darcy are up the ground I think Shane really needs to recognise when he is the leading target. Um, sometimes I think he sort of sags back a little bit still, but uh, I don't think he was too bad. Darcy, I thought, was all right from the limited opportunities. Uh, still needs to get involved a little bit more, but um, uh, obviously on the peds over the last couple of weeks because he actually broke out into a sprint, got a receive handball and kicked a goal. Where did that come from? <laughs> oh, that was nice. I actually really liked his game um, because he was one of the, the few forwards that was consistently having that front position. Um, and he was really ma- he was making quite a few contests and um, had some really nice little passages of play, um, particularly when we were looking quite good and that, that flowing movement. Um, I think he was quite integral to to a bit uh, to that those movements happening. I couldn't believe his burst speed in the past couple of games. Yeah. I just, I literally thought he was not capable of that. So we should probably be checking his phone to make sure he hasn't got like Stephen Dank in the contact list or something because <laughs> what, where's that come from? <laughs> well, well I, when, the rest, I reckon... when the rest of the other slide is so slow, you, you only have to do a bit of a jog to look back fast. I, I reckon he's looking a little bit slimmer and I reckon uh, that's Darren Burgess. Yeah. Maybe starting to have an oh, impact. Oh, playing. Yeah. Um, Joshua Shelley, um, look, to be pe- I know you probably want to pick your, your first rounder um, as often as possible. I didn't think his, war- his form before his break warranted automatic reselection. 
Uh, and I thought his game today showed that at times he looked a little bit disinterested or dejected. And I feel like unless the game's coming to Josh at the moment, um, he's a little bit... Um, it cracks the sads a little bit. Is that, is that, have you guys noticed that? It was it was more that um, it, it seemed like he had a message of you're only allowed to stay on the forward line and you just have to stay there is, is what it seemed to be um, because what we saw from the, the start of the year, you know, he was really rowing up the ground and that's where he was causing a lot of that damage because he was getting very involved in on all the play. Um, it was an odd game from him. Yeah, I don't know, Tim. What do you, you reckon whether it's... Sorry, go on. Sorry, what was that? I was just going to ask you whether... some Vardy, I think, in the chat said uh, Rochelle and Tilthorpe may be a little bit emotionally immature. I wonder whether we're starting to see from the current generation of players... We've, there's been a lot of talk about Jason Horn francis as well in this respect, whether uh, resilience is an issue in the early stages of their career. Uh I'm not necessarily sure whether I'd say it's a resilience issue. I think it's more, what's the diplomatic way to put this? Rochelle and maybe Thorthorpe and Horn Francis have come into exceptionally shit teams. Mm. They've come into very, they've been playing, you know, they're elite juniors, right? Like they've gone through their careers in the underage level playing very well and often playing in teams that are good. Um, So suddenly they're basically forced into this environment that's absolute horseshit especially Horn Francis at North, like going to that team, yeah. they are atrocious off field, on field. There's nothing going well at that club whatsoever. And I think they're just not, they're just not ex- happy with that, which I yeah. think is fair enough. Like if you're Horn Francis and yeah, okay. Yeah. You should be playing to team standards and all that sort of thing. But you kind of being an elite player, you, you're going to a team where half the players are barely AFL standard and they're, they're standing around and, you know, they're not playing well. That's <laughs> basically it. They're just not playing well. And I think a lot of these players coming through are sort of realising that they're good. Like, they they have talent. They've been picked high for a reason. And previously they've shown to be playing well. And they're just expecting that their teammates are, are playing that way as well. And I think it's a very fine balance between making sure that players don't just sit around on field sucking it up because they're playing with Kane Turner and absolute garbage players like that. And, you know being the elite talents that they are. I think that there's some bounce there that needs to happen, but I certainly wouldn't blame a player like Horn Francis for, you know, getting on the field and whinging at his teammates because he's playing with some legitimately terrible players. That's almost exactly what Macker and I uh, said last week about Horn Francis, and I think there might be a little bit about that with Joshua Shelley. Uh, they come from successful junior careers in successful sides. They've always been the main man, um, and they come in uh, to lesser teams that aren't performing and they're forced to play bit roles and physically they can't be the main man although Jason Horn Francis does his damnedest uh, to do a good uh, make a good fist of it um, that being yeah, said honestly, I think it's the issue isn't Horn Francis or Rochelle or Thilthorpe it's all the other players <laughs> you should you know North should be keeping Horn Francis for you know whatever issues he's got with his teammates and just ditching all the other garbage players. Well, you know, is the issue just just digressing from the, from 
you know our, our stats here just digressing on this subject for a minute is it something as simple as um you know out of the mouths of babes i mean isn't horn francis basically just telling the truth you know if he's having an argument with goldstein because goldstein's done something stupid well is he not just saying it's not, it's not as if he's spitting the dummy he's actually talking facts to an afl player who should know better Yeah, and I think that has to come with performing well, right? You can't be sitting there and criticising Goldstein or senior players in your team and putting in an absolute stinker. You kind of have to be trying the absolute best that you can. But as long as you're doing that, as long as you're an elite player who's come from a very solid background and you've been drafted with, you know, pick one is extreme currency, right? It's the most currency you can have in the draft. The club has to be backing them in. You know, if they're playing well, then I think that gives them the license to complain about these things. Not necessarily, you know, full blown out in the media saying like, you know, Todd Goldstein's a shit player and I don't want to play with him. But I mean, being an on-field presence where you're coming up to these players being like, you know, please deliver this in the way that our game plan is set up. Because these the game plan at these sides should be built around utilizing the elite talent that you have. North's game plan should be built around using Horn Francis's elite skills in the midfield and up forward. So he should know all the things that needs to be done in the team. And I think, yeah, if you're a good player and you're playing well, you should have the license to maybe get a bit annoyed. And yeah. is it also a possibly um, what's also affecting Rochelle and what's also affecting Jason Horn Francis, etc. these type of players, is that they're coming in and they're actually playing AFL minutes but they're being shunted on the half-forward line. They're not being put in those positions. They're now having to play a completely different position than what they did play as that main player and uh, what they were actually drafted for, which was to be a midfielder. No, well, Josh Rochelle wasn't. Josh Rochelle is a forward mid, hasn't played a lot of midfield, um, and Jason Horn francis played a lot in the forward lines for South in the, in the ones... Uh, so, I, I mean, I see where you're coming from, Nick. Um, but I don't think either of those, t- particularly Joshua Shelley, shouldn't have been expecting midfield minutes in his first season of AFL football. He hasn't got a tank for it. He's certainly got the talent for it, um, but it's not yeah, where he played. Didn't, didn't play huge midfield minutes uh, in juniors. I mean, obviously, Jason Horn Francis did in his underage career, but playing league he had cameos uh for south um oh, look i think also I, too it's 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 a it's a measure of the fact that these lads have leverage joshua shelley and jason horn francis and riley thought those boats they're not playing for an afl career they've got an afl career it, whereas you know a bloke who gets picked at 20 he's playing for an afl career he's playing to stay on a list Horn francis and and boats like that they know that they they have some leverage uh, and therefore, you know, they f- probably feel more entitled to be able to say something because they're not just a rookie trying to play his trade. They're actually, you know, the next big talent in the competition. And I think it's not a generational thing, as you were saying. Like, it's not because this generation of young players has come up feeling entitled or whatever. It's more... The AFL system that there is today, especially with the way the AFLPA works, 
gives the players basically 99% of the power. Yeah. You, Horn Francis can just leave North whenever he likes. Yeah, that's like There's right. really nothing stopping North from retaining him. Yeah, he's got his two-year contract, so North can force him to stay for this second year next year. But beyond that, he can leave if he doesn't like the club. So it's up to the club to make sure that the environment they're creating for these players is utilising them well. And for, for Horn Francis in particular, he's and I think he's probably more of an, a key example than someone like Rochelle, who I think, you know, especially in the first half, he has been going fine in terms of his attitude on field. But for North with, with JHF, you know, it, it really comes down to them making the club a place where he wants to be as opposed to him fitting into the club that's there as it is. Agreed. Because he can just, even this year, he could just be like, okay, I'm requesting a trade. So either you trade me now and try and get some currency, maybe a couple of first-round picks, or next year I'll be an out-of-contract player and you're going to get maybe a first-round pick less than you would have got this year. You know, all that leverage is there with them. And I think the players are sort of slowly realizing this and that's coming into contract negotiations and ultimately the way they play on the field. Agreed. Uh, let's round out our little uh, individual stats. Uh, Lockie Murphy, I think, was spoken about already, pretty ineffectual for the time that he was on. Uh, Will Hamill was an interesting one. Started in a blaze of glory, but then just completely disappeared for two and a half quarters. Um, only the five touches, not enough from Will. 77% time on ground uh, for five touches. Uh, it's just not enough. Riley Thilthorpe uh, made a few contests, obviously got a long, lot of development to go and he's done his ankle now, so you'd imagine that he might be a miss for next week. And Nick Murray, tried, as Nick always does, wasn't his best game in my opinion. Now, uh, Nicky, uh, you would know and Tim, yes. you're about to find out, uh, we give 54321 every week um, and uh, you're going to take the place... Uh, Tim of Macca, so um, I'll let you think about it for a second while I give Nikki her opportunity to give me the, <laughs> her 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Nick, go ahead. Okay. Um, so I went with Berry for 5. Yeah. Checks for 4. Yeah. Saligo with 3, because even though he was a bit in and out, I just thought he was so proactive um, with what he did. Yeah. Um, so then Dawson for two, and um, as I said before, I actually liked Fogg's game, so I gave him one. Whose game, Fogg's? Yep, Foggerty. Yeah. All right. Mr. Uh, hardware Unboxed. Oh, a lot of pressure. Okay. <laughs> um <laughs> I did think about this. I have been listening to the cast, so I do. I sort of had an inkling ahead of time that this would be coming. Very good. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to go for five. So five's best on ground, right? Correct. So five, five for Barry. Yeah. I'm going to give four to Jordan Dawson. Yeah. I'm going to give three to Saligo. I'm going right. to give two to Tex. Yeah. And I'll give one to. I'll give it to Paddy Parnell. I think he deserves one. Very good. Uh, I've given Tex five, uh, Dawson four, um, Berry three, Saligo two, and I'm actually going to give my number one vote to 
Oh, someone. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Probably, <laughs> probably Fog. I'm going to give it to Fogarty. Yay, for that running go. goal. That was nice. Yeah, th- that's it. That's it. So before this round, um, Geordie Dawson uh, was miles in front of Ben Keys and Laird and a couple of others in the casters one. And in the listeners one, Geordie was even further in front of Walker and Keys, etc. So uh, I'll post up the updated scores in the Best and Ferris channel. Don't forget, if you want to uh, put your Best and Ferris in, uh, go to the Best and Ferris channel in Discord and pop them in uh, within the next uh, hour or so, I'd imagine. Now, no one seems to want to talk, uh, which is fine. Uh, We do appreciate uh, the 20 or so people that are listening in on the audience. You've got a couple of minutes left uh, if you want to have a quick say before we wind it up. the only other thing that I've got to cover, what else have I got to cover here? Bloody footy tipping. Let me just log, in, log into that. Are you in tipping this year, um, Scorpus? Uh, no. I've tipped once one year really well, and then I tipped another year pretty averagely, and that was it for me. <laughs> yeah, I forgot my login I, details, I, so I can't be bothered. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I would actually have to be interested in watching other games and really care. And it's like, nah, I actually might do well in tipping then. Yeah, the disgusting admit. level of umpiring at AFL level these days just makes it me less likely to want to watch a neutral game. So makes it hard exactly. to sort of figure out which teams are good and which, which aren't. Now, look, yep. let's have a little minute on this one. Uh, now, the umpiring in no way costs us anything today. But I have to say oh. there were two... Major periods of the game uh, where the umpires certainly seemed to want to get involved um, to an extent greater than what they needed to, and that was at the beginning of the first and the uh, beginning of the second, um, and at the beginning of the fourth quarter. And some of the that that fifty meter against Tex was absolutely mystifying, absolutely mystifying. There was no way that was a fifty meter penalty. No, that, that is not a 50-metre penalty at all because he was in that position, he was in that area when the player took the mark and he just kept running out because that's, right. that's what he was doing. He didn't back in, he didn't stop. He just kept, oh, Mark, I'm getting out of the space Yep. because that's where he was. Yep. Oh, no, it's 50-metre penalty. And yet there were other ones where they actually had seemed to relax it and use some common sense which I thought was very rare for the three that we had today. Um, that was, it, it was, that was worse than that one. <laughs> and yet those were fine. The worst three was the one where I think it was Duday. He was tackled over the, the boundary line and it was called oh, holding the ball against him. Yeah. yeah. It's out of play. It's not, it's not holding the ball. That's like a rule that an umpire should know is not, like there's not a rule. So... What are they doing? Yep. I actually thought the umpiring was very poor. Um, in general, some of their some of their uh, inconsistencies of their interpretations were were particularly obvious. Um, you know, we won't call it bias; we'll just call it bad umpiring. But uh, yeah, it's certainly the one of the reasons. They they didn't like it when Tex gave them some feedback regarding a decision. No, and that was the 50 metre that Tex gave him the feedback on. 
Uh, yep, and they didn't like it after that. And then we got another free in the centre for them. And then absolutely little ticky touchwood freeze that kind of either were there just and hadn't been paid for the rest of the game or weren't there at all, but then they paid them. Uh, yeah. happened for a, about a period of about five minutes. Certain people can't, cannot, if you cannot handle some constructive criticism, you shouldn't be umpiring. The umpires are, the umpires are umpiring the game like Chase Jones was playing midfield under Mick Godden. They are just confused. <laughs> the way they run around on the ground, it honestly looks to me like they don't know what to pay and what not to pay as freeze, which is why you no. get these sorts of one time they pay do they going over the line and that's suddenly holding the ball free and then it happens later in the game and it's not a free. It's because they just – the rules are so bad. The AFL rules as they are written are so bad that the umpire – there's no clarity for the umpires. Oh, 100%. And I, I honestly don't think it's like no. they're sitting – they're going out there being like, oh, today we're going to absolutely destroy Adelaide and we're going to give all the frees to Gold Coast or vice versa. I don't think they're doing that. They're just going out there and they just don't know what's going on. And every single year when the AFL is coming out and changes the rules or this year, midway through the season, they introduce the – descent rule and then change it again midway through the season where they're like oh so actually putting your arms out now is when don't pay that as descent you know we were telling you like three weeks ago that that was descent it's not not anymore just completely change that like what professional sporting organization has a system where rules there's interpretations to rules that the afl can adjudicate on and change midway through the season it's completely ridiculous. There is yeah. no way that should be happening. If they want to introduce a dissent rule, it should be decided upon before the season starts, yeah. Yeah. kept for the whole season, and then it should be codified into the rules as a rule. It shouldn't be built on some random loophole or interpretation of something that's written down. It should be black and white in the rules. And the reason why we're getting this garbage-level umpiring throughout not just our games but every game is because these rules are written with so many gray areas and interpretations absolutely it must be it must be horrendous to be an umpire and it must be horrendous for the umpires to sit there and have brad scott come out and absolutely embarrass himself in the afl with his ludicrous justifications for things like the descent rule and doubling down and stuff like just the way the AFL can't read the room, and this is something else, I, I have to continue this rant because it's so yeah, frustrating to me. Go so on. the AFL, right, has a whinge about crowds, right? They're like, oh, you know, crowds are down <laughs> this season. You know, people Over aren't tickets. coming back and watching the football after COVID. We have to survey the, we have to survey the public, right? They survey the public every year. You can see the results on AFL.com.au at the start of every season. Because AFL.com.au surveys fans on all the major issues. I've taken one of these surveys and given my feedback. Every single year for the past five, ten years, I can't count how many years this has been the case, the number one issue people say is the standard of umpiring. Every year. Every single year. And the AFL comes out and does absolutely jack shit to change it. They do nothing. They sit there and they're like, oh, I think the crowds are down because... 
I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe there's you know where they're playing Gold Coast, or maybe it's just because West Coast is a bad team this year, no, or anything no, 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 other di- than actually addressing the issue. The AFL it's digital tickets. It's the digital AFL tickets. Read, <laughs> yeah, the AFL can read afl.com.au at the start of the season to see that the majority of fans are saying that umpiring is an issue and the standard of the game is an issue and all these things, and then they do nothing. So why are they wondering why people aren't coming back to the football? Mm. Like, it's not rocket science. They already have the information. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Look, we've had (laughs) this conversation. They just just see my weekly tweet at them. Look, we've had this this exact conversation. And, look, you're 100% right, Scorpus. I'd hate to be an umpire umpiring the game because the rules are made. It's the only game that I can think of where the rules are open to interpretation. We don't have black and white rules. Uh, the best rule that was ever implemented, in my opinion, was a hands in the back rule. I've said it a hundred times because it was black and white. You don't put a hand in someone's back. If you do, it's a free. It doesn't matter whether you push or not. Very easy to officiate, and it took about two weeks for the players to adapt, and then they stopped doing it. And now all of a sudden that's been eradicated, and now we've got blokes playing statues on the mark um, for the look of or the game. Trumpet. And I think... The, the the thing is that the rules are being massaged supposedly for the look of the game. The, the AFL has a, a track record of trying to manipulate the game because what we're running here is not a competition. We're running an entertainment platform. And so the rules yeah. are designed to be entertaining. Now, they're failing, 100% failing, but that's their motivation. Um, and as a consequence, you're 100% right. The crowds are down. Uh, apparently people don't like digital tickets and that's why the crowds are down this year so we're going back to paper tickets um i just it's ridiculous it's absolutely digital one thank you very much it's absolutely stupid and it's belligerent by the afl because it like you rightly point out um tim if anyone is surveyed in the street by the afl the first thing that people would say is the game is starting to become unwatchable. It doesn't represent the game that I grew up with. It doesn't represent a professional standard of of competition. There are too many grey areas. There are too many uh, petty rule implementations like dissent, like protected areas, you know, all this sort of stuff. Um, It's too difficult to umpire. Until we can get the game to a point where the rules are such that we can explain it to a foreigner without the foreigner looking at the game and just thinking it's a chaotic mess, we we haven't succeeded. We have to get the rules to a point where they're easy to officiate but also easy to understand and replicate. So, and I don't think that'll ever happen. And as a result, my interest in football, like I said last week and like you pointed out earlier, uh, Tim, I don't watch a lot of AFL football anymore. I just don't because I can't stand to watch the the petty crap that goes on and the style of play that's been played as, as a result. And I think it comes down to making decisions like appointing Brad Scott to be in charge of umpiring decisions. He's never been an umpire. No. Uh, what, what experience does he have in that role of deciding and managing umpiring at you know, they should be hiring someone that has the experience necessary to actually run that department properly. It's just, yeah, yeah it's it's very disappointing that the way the AFL is currently being, 
you know, managed, I think in general. The, the whole league is being poorly managed and umpiring is obviously at the, the forefront of that. And I'm sure there's people in the AFL who are tasked with, come, you know, filing reports on the feedback from fans on Twitter and Facebook and collating just, you know, the general landscape of the AFL and what supporters are thinking. And I would be absolutely gobsmacked if these things weren't coming up constantly in those sorts of reports. And if they don't have that division in their, you know, corporate structure, then they're well, running the game poorly. Don't forget, the AFL has, don't forget that the AFL has form of not reading reports it doesn't want to read. Well, yes, Essendon <laughs> Drug Saga, etc. But um, I think the, the the AFL umpiring is fixable. It's it's definitely not a lost cause. It's just that the, the AFL administration is not going to implement the changes that are required. And I think a lot of the tinkering over the last couple of years in terms of um, trying to improve the look of the game, you know, trying to speed it up and have uh, more goals scored and that sort of thing, I don't necessarily think that it's wrong to have goals to make the game more watchable. It's just that you have to actually have a plan that's effective. And doing things like making the goal square twice as large is not effective. It's like that's just an idiotic idea. Mm. Like, I, I, And I don't think that's you know a bad rule or anything. I, I don't think that that's the least of the issues. <laughs> but the it's the, – that's – it's the thinking that gets to the position where they think that increasing the size of the goal square or allowing you to run out is going to is going to work. How about something as simple as paying holding the man yeah. in stoppages? Yeah, incorrect like, disposal. You know, you know what frees up congestion? It's paying a free kick in a stoppage oh, because yeah. the opposition gets the ball and then they can clear the congestion. You don't have rolling malls. If you look at the way AFL has played today, there are. I reckon you could pay 500 to 1,000 free kicks a match for holding the man alone. Every oh, yeah. stoppage, every player is holding every other player. Like just if they solve like something like that, they'd have a flow-on effect of solving other things. And that's a rule that already exists. They don't need yeah. to make up 666 or make up the large goal square yeah. or make up the stand rule so that players have a little bit more room to, to run around. Just adjudicate the rules that are already written there. Just yeah. – Pay holding the man, pay, pay. Like, I think spectators I, have a very good idea I of what blocks. holding the ball is. Yeah, and blocks. Like, spectators watching the game on TV, I reckon if you surveyed the spectators and got them to write down the free kicks from every match as which ones were correct and not correct, that most people would be able to correctly identify a holding the ball decision. Like, when's it knocked out in the tackle versus, you know, when has the player clearly had too much time or when they've thrown it. I reckon most people would be okay at doing that. Yet for some reason, the AFL and the umpires are just, I guess, not being, I don't know, taught correctly what what counts and what doesn't count. And I don't think it's necessarily about paying ticky touchwood. Oh, you know, that player got, you know, he missed the ball by a millimetre, so he dropped it or, or whatever. I think it's just about there are clear examples every single week where players throw the ball, drop the ball, it's not knocked out in a tackle, that for the spirit of the game, those frees should be being paid and they're just not. Yeah, 100% agree. If you umpires correctly, then they will see those. B, actually get rid of, you're right, those ex-players in charge of the umpiring department. The game has gone down the hill as soon as they removed umpires in charge of the umpiring department 
and put ex-players in charge. They did that so that they could, that so the AFL could have more control over what they wanted the game to look like. And every single one of these new technicalities they brought in, anybody who's ever umpired the game would actually, and, and I could see them straight away when they started bringing some of these rules going, but here's the flow on effect and it's not going to bring about what you say it's going to bring about because this this is what's going to happen. And then, of course, those things did happen. And so then they brought in another rule to fix that thing and then they brought in another one to fix the next flow on. It's go back to it being simple because it is actually a simple game in the end. Yeah, it's a simple game if you actually umpire the rules, like like Scorpa said. You know, if if a bloke doesn't dispose correctly, it's a free. If you know, if it's, if he pushes in the back in a marking contest, it's a push in the back. If it's a hold, it's a hold. It doesn't matter whether it's a little jumper tug or arms around his neck. It's a hold. And I, and what we found with the hands in the back rule was that players adapt very quickly. Because I'll tell you, there's one thing that is the same for every player that plays football is that they don't want to give away a free kick. So they learn very quickly that if a rule is being interpreted a certain way or if a rule is is a certain rule, then they'll avoid it. And it took two weeks for hands in the back to get cottoned on by, um, you know, 90% of the AFL uh, players. And it was a non-issue. And I don't know why it was removed because it made marking contests so much more enjoyable to watch because it wasn't this Tom Hawkins nudge out just before the ball gets there and take the mark and not get paid stuff anymore. It was it was very black and white and easy to officiate. No black and white. And I think that's the thing. With umpiring, I think sometimes because they've got to interpret, by the time yeah. their mind has gone through that interpretation, the players moved on to a point where they go, oh, bugger it. You know what I mean? It's like the game moves too quickly for that level of thought to go into every decision because, as you rightly point out, Tim, there's probably thousands of decisions that are there to be made in a, in a game of football. So you've got to make it as easy as possible for the umpire to go, well, that was that, so it's a free, or that wasn't that, so play on. Um, at the moment, it's, yeah, and I it's think with the, just a mess. I, I think with the, the things like holding the man, as an example, you know, you start paying holding the man and it becomes easier to pay holding the ball because if players aren't allowed to hold on to each other, then they're not it's it's gonna be easier to see when a player has the ball and is when the tackle begins. Because often these days play the ball gets to a player in a stoppage when they're basically already being tackled at that exact moment. So then it becomes yeah. very difficult for the umpire to, as you say, go through the interpretation process of figuring out whether it was knocked out or whether it was he had prior or whether any of those situations apply. Whereas if the players were a bit more separated because they're holding the man's are actually paid, then all those other rules start to become easier. And another example is something like removing the third man up rule in the right contests. Mm. I don't know what, what the thinking was between removing that. You introduce the nomination rule, which means that every single stoppage is slowed down so then more players can congregate around the ball. You're not just immediately throwing the ball up, which, again, would reduce congestion and get the game to that level where you know the AFL wants it to be. But also third men in coming and 
you know, getting hit outs is going to clear congestion as well. Exactly. So you have on the one hand the AFL saying, well, we need to remove the third man up in ruck contests because whatever reason a ruck, one ruckman got injured one time in a third man up, so now the rule has to be changed. And that introduces a heap of congestion. And then the other hand, they're like, well, congestion's bad for the game. So it's just clear that the people running the AFL and making these decisions are thinking about it's like it's short term thinking, isn't it? It's like thinking oh, about the, the the thing you're gonna change and the immediate consequences and not analyzing how that will affect the entire game as a whole. Because I think clearly the third man up should be reintroduced if they want to clear like start clearing congestion. But nope, we've got to have the stand rule, which everyone hates. Did everyone yeah. hate the third man up rule? Like you you're kind of tossing up these things where you, you can implement a rule that everyone hates and thinks is complete garbage or have a rule that was generally accepted in in the AFL. I don't think people the, complain about the third man up. I don't think thing people that, complain about holding the mans, getting paid every once in a while so that players aren't immediately tackled before they have the ball. You know, it's people want the the, the rules of the game that are there and were there previously just to be adjudicated and that will solve so many of the complaints. 100%. I think, you know, the interesting thing about the third man up rules, Scorpus, is that they removed it on the basis that, uh, well, they removed the ability for third man up because on the basis of Ruckman getting injured. And yet they're quite happy for Ruckman to jump into each other at, you know, 20 on 10 bounces a game, <laughs> you know, at, at speed. So yeah. uh, it's ridiculous. Anyway, look, the good thing is, Tim, that we got to about an hour and 15, and I thought I was going to be quick tonight, um, but you've <laughs> managed to enable us to take it out to the standard two hours, and for that I'm terribly grateful. <laughs> well, I couldn't, I couldn't come on the cast and not absolutely torch the AFL for being I was, incompetent. So I was, you know, I was the waiting for media it. out there. You know, AFL media is not going to do it. So this podcast, you know, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm sort of involved in media. Maybe I yeah. can torture them a little bit. Yeah, do it, no, look, do it. I, I was waiting. I was waiting for the for the rant. Uh, we, you know, one of the legend. I, I remember a couple of your legendary rants, Scorpus, and uh, yeah, I think you're a bit out of practice. But it was nice to have you back on board to deliver one. <laughs> <laughs> that well, they, David, always, they were always a thing of beauty. Yeah, well, David McKay retired, so my ranting ability yeah, sort that of was just put on the cooler for a little bit there. <laughs> Um, but I think maybe Matt Crouch and that oh <laughs> uh, is bringing that back. But I mean, you know, I'd, if I had the resources, I'd love to start an, an AFL media website that could actually take these companies to task and not have to be part of the accreditation process, which I think is a, just a rort and a disgrace mm. to the to yeah. sports journalism. Um, yeah, it'd be nice, but I'm, I'm too busy for that. And maybe I'd get a few death threats from the people that are in the industry right now and have the whole uh, landscape how they like it. I think they really like the way that it is, unfortunately. It's a, it's a controlled environment, Tim. You and I both know that. It's a controlled environment. Anyway, look, uh, well, it's been it's great not, having you on, it's mate. It's not just controlled. I think, yeah, it's a lot of uh, very, very bad stuff happening there, but yeah. Yeah. Look, it's been great having you on, uh, Tim. Lovely to see you again. I'm sure all our listeners, um, particularly those who used to look uh, to listen to the uh, Thursday night show that we used to do uh, back those years ago, um, uh, are happy to hear you again. Nikki, also, I, I believe you're recovering at the moment from a bit of a spicy cold, so 
Uh, yep. All the very best to you as well. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on Discord and also on YouTube. Don't forget, if you want to support the Crowcast, you can go to uh, patreon.com forward slash AFL Crowcast. Uh, all your um, contributions are greatly appreciated. Don't forget, during the week, we will be running our usual uh, ticket giveaway for... Have we got a home game this week? We have got a home game this week, haven't we? No, we're playing North Melbourne in Tasmania. Oh, Tassie. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, yeah, sorry. No ticket giveaway this weekend unless you want to go to Tassie and then you can pay for yourself. <laughs> but irrespective... Uh, now, uh, I'd, I'd almost like to take a bet that North Brolis next week. What do you reckon, Tim? Oh, surely not. They are atrocious. But it's not. It's uh, it, it, It's Tasmania. We're atrocious in Tasmania. Man, yes. this is going to be one of the worst games of all time. Surely this is going <laughs> to be one of the worst games rains. of all time. If a it team, rains. Do, we, do we have to watch it? Oh, it's going to be a shocker. <laughs> if uh, if North win next week, there won't be a crowcast. <laughs> we just won't bother. Just we won't bother. <laughs> anyway, look, thanks everyone for joining us. Thanks, Tim, and uh, enjoy your weeks, everyone. We'll see you next Sunday for another weekend wrap. Cheerio. Night, all.